Hello, I'm Sam Varner, your host of the She Needs Grit podcast, and I am really, really pumped up for what I have in store for you this year. We are going to be diving into some amazing entrepreneurial stories. We're going to be talking all about how you can build your business, how you can have a business that supports the exact ideal dream life you're trying to create for yourself and your family and how you can do it while you make buckets of money. So settle in, buckle up, get some caffeine, and let's get started. Get ready, you guys. Today, I have a treat. I got an opportunity to interview Gary Pickering. Now, he comes with a long list of accolades. He's an author, a podcaster, a real estate instructor, and a licensed real estate broker. And he also hosts the podcast Dish and Dirt with Gary Pickering. We had the opportunity to sit down and just talk honestly all about business. So you want to listen into this because it's going to inspire you about what we are capable of doing in the face of uncertainty in the market, whether it's in the real estate market or just in business in general. It's an opportunity for you to listen in to a conversation where pivoting in the market is critical, being adaptable, all those things. So if you're struggling right now with adaptability or you need to have a little bit of a, just a conversation that you get to listen in and learn a ton because Gary's level of expertise is no joke, you guys. Then get ready to my interview with Gary Pickering. Well, I really appreciate being with you. I enjoyed our conversation a couple of weeks ago, and I know today's going to be just as fun as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing better than you hop on just a kind of a get to know you type of call, and it immediately is like, oh, now I really am excited we're getting to know each other because sometimes that doesn't always happen, but I felt like that yeah, the same. Yeah. Well, cool. All right. So we're going to start. I want you to just give the listeners an idea of who you are, what your kind of career trajectory has been, and what you're doing now. So I have been a real estate closing attorney going on 28 years. I've done about 30,000 real estate closings in that time frame. In South Carolina, we are one of the few states that still uses real estate closing attorneys, and we still do both buyer side and seller side. So my career has been mainly been that. Over the last 10 to 20 years, I started getting into what real estate agents really do, and I realized in a marketing sense, the best thing I could do was become the expert at what they do. And so I started really about 20 years ago representing real estate agencies from the Colwell Bankers, the Keller Williams, the C21s, and all the big guys learning what those agents did. And as a result of that, uh, I became a real estate commissioner in South Carolina, one of those guys that regulates what goes on in our industry. And then I became a real estate broker. I became a real estate instructor. I became an Arillo distance instructor. And then with a group of investor friends and four lawyers in my office, I developed a program called the installment method, which hopefully will one day replace wholesaling with a legal ethical way of doing investing. So we've been in real estate for a long time, just trying to really understand what the real estate agent needs are and what they look for, and then trying to give them as much service as we can. And that's pretty much what I've been doing my whole life, it seems like. <laughs> I love that. I love the, I mean, the 
subtle pivots? Like, I mean, you've all, you've been in the same industry. You've been doing the law piece of this for a long time. Right. The just really being aware of what's going on in the market and the shifts and the where can I best serve the clients. Um, I think there's a lesson to be taken out of that that we learn to be mastery of the niche that we're in, right? right? And really understanding it from not just our own perspectives of this is who I am potentially engaging with. And so I want to understand them from the, I can sell you better, but from the place of what do you actually need in your business and how can I deliver that in a slightly unique way is, um, is rare, right? I don't think we see as many professionals doing it that way all the time. And I've been very fortunate in my career to get with a lot of really good people who understand what most lawyers don't understand is that the practice of law is a business. Most lawyers don't understand that. They think it's an art. And it is 100%. an art to it, but it really is a business first and foremost. And that in any business, as Dr. Cindy McGovern said in her wonderful book, every job is a sales job. And whether you're a real estate closing paralegal, you're the person sitting at the front desk to the closing attorney, you are a salesperson. And you can only grow a business, whether it's real estate sales or real estate law firm, if you understand that you've got to get the consumer in the door. And if you can't get the consumer in the door, it doesn't even matter if you're the world's greatest closing attorney, because if I have nothing to close, then it doesn't really matter. And so over the years, I've been able to work with some really good lawyers who kind of understood it and pushed me along the way and helped me understand what I really needed to learn. And through that, I've learned how to develop my own client base. And then once I develop my own client base, how to really serve that client base because in businesses, as you know, and I've listened to you speak about this as well, is that it, it's about serving your client. And if you're just about serving yourself, you're not ever going to get anybody's business. Or if you do, you won't keep it very long. And so my servant leadership, the way I've been doing servant leadership, is by really looking at what my client's pain points are and how I can help relieve that pain point. And it has blossomed for me. And and. Uh, you know, if I to, if you say, would you do your career any different? I would say no. I, I learned from people who taught me along the way, and I enjoy my career because it's not just about me. It's about the people that send me business. And as Brittany Hodick says in her book, Superfans, um, incredible book if you haven't read it, I was able to develop superfans by being myself and doing the things I like to do, which was helping the people become the best that they can be. And so it's been a great career and I've really enjoyed the pivots along the way. And unfortunately, uh, in my career of real estate, I've had to live through 9-11. We've had mm -hmm. to live through the 2008 debacle, to 2007, 2008. Uh, we had to live through COVID. We now have to live through the, the so-called recession, not recession, whatever we're in, <laughs> the spike of interest rates. And so, you know, I've been doing this for 28 years. And what I can tell you in real estate is every year is different. We Oh, we're back to a normal market. There is no such thing as a normal market. So you have to constantly pivot to whatever market you're in. Yeah. And I think that's something that we you hear a lot about in real estate. Like, oh, this is, it, it is a cyclical nature business. And that is true, right? Seasonally, especially you see in real estate. But what we also see is that it's never the same. And the fact that the right. people who keep thinking it's going to be the same and that the same actions are going to create the same results are the ones who don't last in the industry very long. Or if they do, right. they last maybe for a, a good long cycle and then something comes and it's just like, just knocks them right off the tracks altogether and they don't know even at all what to do 
at that point. And who wants to hire sameness? I mean, I don't, when I go to a hotel, I don't look for sameness. When I go to a restaurant, I'm not looking for sameness. I'm looking for something extraordinary, something different. And one thing you'll see really in the real estate industry, which I think you see probably here more than most industries, is that you can have the top 10 or 15 that are been there for five, 10, 15 years being the top. And then all of a sudden, somebody who used to be a band leader at a high school or a school teacher uh, or a minister will all of a sudden join the industry and say, I can do it differently and I'll do it not necessarily better than everybody else. I'll just do differently than everybody else. And all of a sudden that person becomes the number one person. And in my market of South Carolina, particularly Columbia, South Carolina, three of the top agents are exactly that. The number one agent in our market is a guy named Patrick O'Connor. He literally was living in Chicago directing high school bands and decided, I don't want to do this anymore. And he moved back to Columbia, South Carolina, started in real estate. And within like two years, everybody's like, where did this guy come from? But because <laughs> he looked at real estate entirely different than everybody else. And sameness in business is boring. And nobody wants boring. Yeah. That's one of the big reasons when people talk to me about the way that I coach and who I coach, right? It's a wide variety of professional service level people. I believe so strongly in it being that wide swath of all of the different industries because there is something to be gained from each and every different service area, right? The lawyers right. are doing th things differently than the accountants are doing things different than the realtors are doing different things. And if we're open to it and can kind of look at how does that work through the lens of what I'm dealing with, you're a lot more robust as a business owner to have that kind of insight than just everybody in real estate does it this way, or everybody in law does it this way. And I'm not going to deviate. I just, I just want to continue the trend. I'm glad you mentioned that. So our firm, when we opened this firm a little over eight years ago, we came out of a pretty corporate law firm and we didn't want to be that way. And so one of our founding uh, mission statements, part of our mission statements are who we are is we're the unfirm. Uh, Ooh, and we I like that. capital F for fun. So it's the unfun. So we're un and fun firm at the same time. And so when you think of lawyers, you think of lawyers in suits and ties and standing in front of books and, and their offices are all stuffy with leather chairs. We designed our entire office to look like a tech office. It almost looks like if you were to go work for a tech company, what our law firm looks like. In fact, I'm wearing a T-shirt today and I wear Jordans pretty much every single day that I do a closing. I'm walking in wearing Air Jordans. So first of all, we decided we were going to do our business completely different. But the second point I loved that you made was looking at other people and how they do things. And while I like to think I'm brilliant and I can come up with all these brilliant ideas, the fact is the best ideas are those that you borrow from other people because you didn't have to think of them yourself. You just borrow them, right? hundred percent. Borrowing <laughs> ideas from people, right. But, but borrowing ideas from people in your industry just makes you a copycat. Mm -hmm. But if I borrow ideas from Colonial Williamsburg, I borrow, which I'll tell you about in a second, or I borrow an idea from my dentist, then I'm not, a copycat. I'm just unique. I'm coming up with something different. So my two examples, the dentist, when you're in the dentist chair and they're doing unspeakable things to your mouth, they're always playing very soothing 70s music. I don't know if you listen to Yacht Rock. I love mm -hmm. Yacht Rock. Some ambrosia always calms you down, little player, whatever. And so I said, why would we not put that in our real estate closing offices? While people are signing documents, wouldn't it be nice to have some soothing music in the background, maybe some Yacht Rock? So we went out and bought iPads and XM radio and speakers. And now when you come to our closings, you get to select the music you want to listen to. 
funny. You might walk in there and somebody's playing Baby Got Back. It's very interesting what your clients <laughs> will select for closing. And in, in August, we had somebody playing Christmas music. And I'm like, dude, you can't play that yet. And then the second You're one- like, that's you know, outlawed. No Christmas music yet, please. Right. Until like at least Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> my wife would start probably about Halloween. But um, And then the other one, Colonial Williamsburg, you're like, what in the world would you steal from Columbia, Colonial Williamsburg? Well, um, I was in Colonial Williamsburg. I was drinking a beer. I was like, wow, this is pretty good beer. It's called Lord Chesterfield. And I looked on the back of it and it was Yingling. All it was was Yingling. And so I said to myself, wow, why couldn't I get a brewery in town to make a Blair Cato beer? So I go to the people who own our building. Well, our building is actually owned by a brewery. And I asked them, I said, have you ever thought about marketing a beer under a different name, like a law firm? He's like, love the idea. Let's do it. So we come up with a beer called Closing Time. It's one of their beers, but we throw a Closing Time label, which they actually de designed for us to match their, their style and their branding. And they made a beer called Closing Time. And that uh, people, when they see me on the street that are real estate agency, they want to talk about, oh, I love your podcast, which I even mentioned I have a podcast, um, but they love my podcast or I want to talk about your beer. And it's I, become part of the branding of what we do. That's fantastic. It is. I love it. I'm like, my mind is like, okay. <laughs> I love that because how many people that are sitting here listening to this podcast right now are thinking to themselves, huh? a really good idea or that just made you think of three or four other ideas that you potentially could do in your business the difference between a really good idea which we have all the time right and then the fact that you took action made the inquiry said hey how about this and that the brewery owner was like yeah sounds great let's do it that's the difference that's the difference between big success and some success right is the taking action on those big ideas that you have when you're laying in bed or you're drinking a beer or whatever that is, wherever you come up with your brainstorming. Um, for me, it's driving because my kids are not in the car when I'm doing this and I can actually think with my brain and hear my brain. Um, but those things, taking that step and actually making making that big decision and just going forward is is the thing that makes the difference. We, I love that. I Legal tip, I think it was. I send out bomb bomb legal tips as well. I have like five thousand subscribers that are agents, and I send them a weekly legal tip. And I was in, I think I was in Austin, Texas. Maybe I was, yeah, I was at the University of Texas. I think I was just walking around, and I'm like, you know what? We just don't think enough. And so my whole legal tip that day was on. We've lost the art of thinking. We're so busy in our businesses. Like I got to work here at eight thirty this morning. I've taken a thirty minute break for lunch, and that's basically the only time I've left my actual office. I have been so busy all day up until you and I got on this call. And then I know when I go home tonight, I'm going to be busy from the time I get home until basically the time I go to bed. And it's like, when in my day do I have time to think about my business or plan my business or come up with an idea? And so I know you use your car. That's a, that's a great place. I use cutting the grass. I mean, that's one of the reasons I still cut the grass. It's an hour and a half that I don't have to talk to anybody, throw on the headphones and think. But we really need in our businesses, regardless of what kind of business you are in, to sit down with a paper and pad and just start thinking. What are the things that suck about my company? What are the what are the pressure points that when somebody has to deal with me, they hate? They hate having yeah. to go through my receptionist. They hate having to always leave a message. They hate uh, have my, you know, whatever it may be. They they don't like the sound of the music on the on the on the whole phone. Whatever it may be, and come up with all of those things. And how can I improve those? Because pretty much everything in your business could be improved. Now, some of it's mm -hmm. not practical to improve, but pretty much everything in your business 
you probably could do a small step to make it better. Yeah. Yeah. And it is carving out that time. And most entrepreneurs, especially those that are in that solopreneur to pretty much everybody, but I think the solopreneur is that person who accidentally has created for themselves a job and it's getting them from that place to the CEO mindset, right? Where it's like, yeah, I have a job and I still am the employee some of the time, but some of my time has to be centered around being the CEO, being the founder and figuring out mm -hmm. what those next steps are. And I think so many small businesses stay small because they can't get past that point that they're the Very only true. one that can be capable to do the next things, right? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. We have a business coach, Dr. Cindy McGovern, matter of fact, the author I mentioned early. And this form, firm, as I mentioned, came out of a very structured corporate law firm. Mm -hmm. And we were so tired of, of TPS reports. If you ever saw the show uh, movie Office Space, you know what I'm talking about, TPS mm -hmm. reports. But we were so tired of all of that crap that we're like, we're just going to do it organically. And, and we did. We regrew the firm organically for about four or five years. And then Cindy came in and goes, it's remarkable that you've grown it for four or five years, but why is Gary doing the same thing that Cynthia is doing? And what is Rex doing to, that, uh, uh, you know, so-and-so that um, I'm forgetting one of my law partners now that my other law partners are doing. So why are you, why are you doing it this way? And so at that point we were like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. So we literally started looking at what my talents were, what Cynthia's talents were, what Rex's talents were. Then when we brought in Kevin and Brew, what their talents were. And we said, you know, you, you got to focus on the fact of the business, quit working so much in the business and start mm -hmm. working on the business, but also understand Gary, your strengths are marketing and running your mouth. <laughs> um, Rex's strengths were dealing with the back room business aspects that everybody hated, like the insurance and the disability stuff and all that. And so we all had our own niche that we were good at. And so once we figured that out, um, our business like doubled. I mean, Cindy yeah. was like a godsend because we were, we were doing great. And then all of a sudden with her help, we went from having literally one office and now we're at six offices. And yeah. it, we went from like 30 employees to like 80 at the height of our, uh, of the business. So it, it was amazing once you kind of focused on what you were good at, staying or laying, but recognizing you had to work on the business and you couldn't just always be sitting in a closing room doing closings and sending emails to people. You had to actually do things to run a business. And now I'm to the point after you know so many years of I really spend my whole day working on the business and very little time working in it. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you start thinking of a 28-year lawyer, the cost of my time is not valuable sitting in front of a in a closing. Sometimes it has to be because i got clients I need to keep happy. But when you can go hire an associate for a whole lot less than what mm -hmm. it costs for a partner to be there, you can leverage and have associates doing that business so that you can concentrate on the business and bringing the business in. And that's been the biggest help for us. And so... Uh, really understanding working on the business was key for us. So you, you're absolutely correct on that. Yeah, well, and the scalability of the ability to get you out of the closing table, right? Out of that room and what you can do with one podcast or one marketing strategy, how many more clients that brings in. Um, the scalability factor, I think if everybody that's listening to this thinks, hmm, how does this apply to my business? How am I being like Gary was before or how am I growing towards being in that position now um, is worth taking the time, right? 
go cut your grass and figure out how you're going to do that in your business. Um, and I think a lot of people think, particularly when they're the owners of their own company, I'll just do it myself. Yes. Well, is it economically smart? I mean, I charge 500 bucks an hour. Mm -hmm. Is it smarter for me to do things that pay me $500 an hour? Or is it smarter for me to go run to the bank and drop off a deposit? Yeah. I mean, I can hire somebody for 15 bucks an hour to go do that. I make 500 bucks an hour on my billable rate. So why would I waste an hour of my time versus having somebody do it for 15 bucks an hour? And, and, yeah. and I mean, and I get there's some things that you just can't keep paying people to do things. I get that. There's a, you have to look at the value of money as well, but that comes with thinking. Think mm -hmm. about your business. What am I spending money on? What am I wasting money on? How much of more can I do if I got rid of these terrible tasks that I'm having to do that are taking up all my time? Yeah. And I would, I'll tell you this, in the real estate industry, what we have found out is that for most agents, they're spending most of their time showing houses. Yes. And you, that is a tremendous time eater for them. And so a lot of agents who have been very good have gone out and hired showing agents, somebody they pay to go show the houses. And when that showing agent and the buyer say, hey, this is the one, then the agent comes in, then they bring in the big dogs, as we call it. And they're like, yeah. okay, let me review the house with you. Let me go look at it. Let me talk to the other side. And so you're, you're freeing up your time, um, but still giving that great service to the client. Yeah. And if you take the time, I think the other piece of that is training people to do whatever those jobs are that you are stepping away from to do it in the methodology that you want for your company, right? That method is key. And that's what makes the difference between that system working and having showing agents doing that and it failing. It is almost mm -hmm. always the business owner doesn't train the person to do the task in a way that fits within you know, the community of the business that fits the standards of operation that you should have set out if you don't, right? right? Those pieces, that's the other thing is I think that reflection time as the founder and the CEO to say, how is it my problem that this isn't working? Where have I mm -hmm. failed from a management standpoint and a training standpoint and a choosing the right employees standpoint to create that scalability? It's very rarely the employee is terrible and they can't be it's their fault that we're in this predicament. Right. Usually it's us. Unfortunately, the and buck stops here, right? Say, right. And when the employee quits, most of the time they say they quit because they never felt like they got the support or they didn't feel like they got the training they need. And so, yeah. if, you know, if I could go back in time nine years ago when we started this firm, I would have created a manual from that first day forward of this is the Blair Cato method. This is what we've done. Now, that doesn't mean that method couldn't have changed along the way. And it's changed dramatically along the way with adding, you know, the small stuff like the music in the rooms and things like that of how we do our closings. But having that process does two things for you. Everybody knows it and they follow it. And then one day if somebody comes and says, your business is really valuable, I want to buy it. Then you can yes. say, this is what my process is. This is what separates Blair Cato from every other law firm in, the, in town. Um, I will be the first to admit, unfortunately, we have started that process over the last year, and it is a long process. You know, and maybe if you're a small business with two or three employees, but when you got all the way up to 80 employees now, and like I think we're 12, 13 attorneys, we waited way too long, way mm -hmm. too long. And so I spent a lot of time in November, December, January, February, writing out all these processes. And they're mainly done, but they're not pulled together. And I've got so much more time to put on it, but it's necessary time so that when people come to work here, they know what's expected of them. I can hold people accountable. They can hold me yeah. accountable, which is the big thing. I need to be held accountable because I hate 
hate managing people. It's the worst thing in the world to make me, me manage people. <laughs> I mean, it's, oh, I, I, I don't want to micromanage. It. Just I trust that you're going to do a good job and sort yourself out. And right. that's a terrible business strategy, guys. You cannot actually trust that at the beginning. That's an earned, right. an earned thing. Exactly. Which I have Absolutely. learned. Absolutely. Sometimes repeatedly. <laughs> um, Unfortunately, right. Yeah. Some of these lessons we need to learn more than once. It's totally fine. Right. We'll get it eventually, right? Um, okay. Right. So, I mean, we're not going to stop here, but I think the value of what we've already talked about touches on so many pieces of a business going from mediocre to exceptional. And I want to continue and I want to talk about what August 2023 looked like for your firm, for the industry as a whole leading up to that. Tell me a little bit about this situation because this really intrigued me last time we talked. So 2022 was one of the best years we've ever had in real estate. Uh, we'd come out of the pandemic. People were buying houses left and right. Interest rates were still uh, in the first part of 2022, phenomenal. We're, you're talking rates that historically had never happened in the threes. And so as quick as they would put a house on the market in Columbia, South Carolina, and pretty much all over the, the country, somebody could list their house and have 15 or 20 offers within two hours. Um, I had one agent that had 63 offers on the house that she put on the market. She's like, how do you separate between 63 offers? I mean, you, you can look at the best and highest price, but the bottom line is they're all about the same. You know, it's, it's to the point. And it was really just absurd. And we were really moving along and enjoying it and making more money than we'd ever made in real estate. And then two things happened. One, my law partner, Rex Castellan, passed away. Um, he was only in his 50s and had a heart attack and passed away. And that threw a big wrench in how we were doing things. Um, trying to work through all that was was quite a bit. Um, and, and he was such an integral part of our business. And then secondly, the interest rates started to not creep up, but jump up. I mean, we're going from three to four and a half in a matter of a couple of days, and then going from four and a half to six, and then going into the sevens. And it was like somebody had put a, a, a complete halt on things. And so luckily, Cynthia Blair in my office has, has been very involved in our industry and was starting to get, hear the rumblings in the industry about it. And so sometime before Rex passed, probably in June or July, we literally said, we have got to figure this out. And in the past of the other firms I'd worked at, we waited for the collapse and then mm -hmm. responded. So 9-11, right. you could never have planned for it. Nobody knew that was going to happen. So you, that was a reactive, not a proactive. 2007 8, pretty much most people in South Carolina knew it was coming our way because it already happened in Arizona. It already happened in mm -hmm. California. It's happening in Florida. But we all kind of sat on our hands going, oh, we're different. We're different. It's not going to happen here. No, it happened here. This time I said, we're not going to let this happen to us. So we started creating spreadsheets office by office of how much to the penny that office cost us to keep open how much revenue we could expect from that office in a good market and then decreasing it by 15, 30, 40, 50% so that we could see along the way of what our pressure was, how much could a Lexington office lose before that office became not profitable. Um, and so we started really looking at all of these numbers and then we started looking at staff and, and it was not a fun thing to do. In fact, we brought an associate in and said, okay, you want to be a partner? Let me show you what being a partner is about. Rank these five people and tell me which one's the first one would have to go if the market drops 20%. He's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, this is miserable because everybody mm -hmm. we employ are good people. They have families. They need this job. No one here is millionaires that can just work for the fun of it. We work to support our families. 
And so it's not a fun thing to do, but you have to start looking at that. And so the two things that we figured quickly out of it was we didn't believe we had to make a lot of layoffs. We had a couple of people that were looking to leave. We, we did make a few layoffs. We had 80 people at that time. I think we laid off maybe three or four full-time employees. And then we had some part-timers we let go. Um, but that was it. And then as people left positions, we just didn't refill those positions. So we saved money there. But what we really found out was that we were spending a lot of money on a service that we were paying for that we could have done internally. And what I'm talking mm -hmm. about is when someone buys a house, they do a title search to make sure the house doesn't have liens against it. And we were spending, I, heck, I can't remember the number, seventy-five dollars to $80,000 a month on that service. Okay. And so one of our competitors laid off two title searchers, abstractors. So we're like, why don't we hire them and cut our costs on outside abstracting? And we went from $80,000 down to about 15 overnight. Yeah. And by doing that, we were able to save the jobs of so many people in our firm. I mean, when you start thinking about $600,000 to $700,000, we were able to save and just that one move right there. We were able to save 10 people's jobs, maybe 15 people's jobs. And so we did not have to lay off. We had people in our industry that were dropping off 75% of their labor staff. We didn't have to do that. And that was the biggest thing that we were able to do is one, look at every single office and see what it was going to cost us to keep up. And then number two was the, looking at where we could cut costs. And then unfortunately, the third thing we had to do, and unfortunately, I think every business has had to do is inflation is just killing us all. Mm -hmm. um, one of my former em employers that I worked with many years ago, Steve Harvey, actually turned the light bulb in your head off. And you think this is such a simple thing. How'd you not ever understand this? If your cost, if your fees stay the same, your revenue stays the same every year, you lose money every year. I mean, what are you talking about? He's like, well, if you bring in $100 this year, it's not going to cost you $100 next year. It's going to cost you $105 to do the same business. And next year after that, it's going to cost you $110 to do the business. So you're going to start losing money. So either you have to go up on your fees every year, mm -hmm. bring in more business every year, or cut costs. Well, it's very hard to cut costs because you either got to cut staff or you got to cut insurance. Insurance is going up 15, 20% every year. So you're mm -hmm. not really going to cut costs like we were able to that time. Um, so you either have to bring in revenue, which I just told you our market was down 30, 40, 50%. So the only thing left you can do at that point is go up in, in fees. And we were able to increase our fees about 20 to 25%. So as you experience a 30 to 35% decrease in revenue um, from the amount of business coming in, you make that up in the increased fees. And so again, we weren't seeing that huge drop off financially and that mm -hmm. was able to keep people employed. Um, I will brag on my partners, our, me, Kevin Brew, and, and Cynthia. The one thing we all sat around that day is when we were sitting in August going, this is going to get bad for a lot of people is how can we save most people's jobs here? You know, yeah. what can we do to make sure that we keep the people we got? We got good people. We love the people we work with. Uh, we treat them like family. Um, our family, our business is built on families, built on faith. And uh, because of that, um, we were able to save a lot of people's jobs. And to me, I've been doing this for 28 years. And I'll honest, say, honestly say this, it's one of the proudest moments in my career was that when everybody else was laying people off left and right, we didn't have to do it. And it felt good. Yeah. Yeah. So taking those pieces of getting ahead of it, right? Seeing it coming and reacting quickly to be able to evaluate where even could we do anything. And it may have been, the answer may have been, no, we run really lean already. There is nothing we can do. You still would mm -hmm. have the ability to increase fees, but 
the rest of it might've been, you might not have been able to do that. But the fact that you were out ahead of it, being able to analyze those numbers and look at things really, really um, in detail is what makes the biggest difference, right? So not being indifferent to market conditions that are shifting and being aware of it without being the sky is falling chicken little style, right? but right. taking action again, back to that, like decisive action being the thing that matters. What can we do? How can we do it now? Let's do it right now and see, can we mitigate the damage? Um, how do you think you operate your business differently now? So things are starting to shift in the market a little bit. What have you kept? What what has changed? Has there been any operating things that you've continued to kind well, two, of question? Two things I think have been very important for what we've done. From that experience, we have six offices, and every office has its own spreadsheet to the penny of what gets spent in that office. And prior to that, I'm ashamed to say, we really didn't look at it much. It would be like, oh, this is how much money we made this month. Great. Um, but we didn't sit there and look at it on an office by office basis and go, this office has too much staff. This office has not enough staff. Do we need to move some office staff over there to equal out the cost? This office, we're paying $5,000 for some reason to have somebody come in and water our plants every month. I mean, we literally had found out we were paying $400 a month. It's five grand for somebody to water our plants. It's like we have interns. They can water the plants. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. So we were able to really, the big thing was to look at the cost. And, and that's what's been the biggest change that I'm happy about is that we literally stay on top of every single penny that's being spent now. It's mm -hmm. not being cheap. It's not being overly frugal. It's being mindful. And as companies get fat and bloated, it's, a lot of it's because things are going right. So just throw another person at it. And that's what we yeah. did back in the day when we're running closings like crazy. We're like, oh, hire somebody to do this instead of looking to say, oh, this person has capacity. Let's get them to do this additional this additional task. Let's just hire another person. And so you got two people at 50 to 60 percent capacity where mm -hmm. you only need one. And then the second thing we did is we were spending a lot of money on marketing and events. And we weren't really stupid with it, but we were spending money. And so we had mm -hmm. to really sit back and look and evaluate, does this event bring in business? Does this expenditure here, is it worth it? And wow. for the most part, we found out what we were doing was was right, but we really had to look at how we did some events. I mean, I throw on an event every year that costs about $60,000. We do a, an event where hopefully you're going to be speaking at next year with us, is that we bring in people to do speeches, uh, almost like a uh, Inman News or Inman Select, one of those big conferences where real estate agents come. And the cost of that's about 60K. Well, we don't have $60,000 just sitting around to pay for this event. So we had to look at how we could do it. What kind of sponsorships could we mm -hmm. associate? What bigger, because, you know, usually you go and get a sponsor from a termite company. Well, they're not going to give you tremendous sponsorship dollars. Can we go to a title insurance company? And we started looking bigger and saying, would a big company want to sponsor something like this? Does it have to be a local real estate company that wants to sponsor it? And we were able to really increase those sponsorship dollars to get those events on without killing us in the pocketbook. So those are the two big things we did. Yeah, I, I think it's such a good lesson. And it's one that I talk to every single one of my clients about is you have to know your numbers. You have to get comfortable with them, despite the fact that the vast majority of us are not interested in looking at those spreadsheets, right? Mm -hmm. But that's the difference between what you get to take home and what you spend on watering plants, right? Or right. what person you get to keep employed versus having to lay somebody off that you feel terrible about having to do so. Um, 
And it is, I think the one thing that I, that I hear is the value of your 28 years of experience and being able to say, these are some of the things like the standard operating procedures and doing these numbers. When you think about somebody who's at the beginning of their career, if you start this now, this will have a massive, massive scalable impact on what you create in your business moving forward, right? Right. A thousand percent. And I, I, I couldn't agree with that more is start early. It's like your parents say, start putting your 401k as soon as you get your first job. And and we put minimal. And now you're sitting here, at, I'm 53 years old. I'm like, dude, if I had just put another $5,000 in when I was 25 years old, this would, that would be worth another hundred grand. And you're just sitting there kicking yourself, but mm -hmm. don't kick yourself over stuff like that. Do it, go in there and look, these are three things. Evaluate your business, write out a business plan, Look at where I'm spending money. Does it make sense? Does it not make sense? And I'm I'm one of the few lawyers that hates to read, believe it or not. And I love reading now, but when I was younger, I couldn't stand it. Now I like reading for fun. But one thing that never seemed fun to me was reading for business. Who wants mm -hmm. to read a business book? But it was the business books that we had read. It was now there are people out there like yourself. Would, you should write a book if you haven't already written one because you've got a lot of great insight. But when you look at people like Brittany Hoduck and her book, Superfans, I mean, mm -hmm. I read it like in a night and a half. I mean, it's one of the yeah. greatest books I've ever read on marketing. It's just, it's interesting as all get out. And then Dr. Cindy, when she writes her book on um, every job's a sales job, and the other one she wrote was called Sell Yourself. And you read it, start now. Don't wait till you've been in business 28 years to have these aha moments. I had these, because I read them for 28 years, and I'm like, huh, that's brilliant. Why did I wait 28 years to read something for somebody to tell me that I could have implemented my practice 15 years ago and been uh, even further ahead than I am now? So you can learn a lot by listening to other people, by um, getting a great coach like Sam. I mean, coaching is also an absolute must. If you're not getting, mm -hmm. if you don't have a coach, you're crazy. You're just absolutely doing it on your own. You have nobody to hold you accountable, to push you along the way, to give you advice, to, to do the 50,000 foot view. When yeah. we're in the middle of it, we're angry. We can't see the, the trees for the woods or what woods for the trees, whichever it is. Having that independent person who can say, look, calm down, step back, look mm -hmm. at what you're doing. And what's the answer here? What's what's the Gary's angry answer? Now, what's the Gary <laughs> yeah. needs to calm down and think about this answer? And you're like, I know. I know. Yeah, that's the worst. Okay, you're right. There's no coach in the world. Like if you if you have a coach and you should, and if you don't, then you need to call me. But you're not going to like your coach all the time. And honestly, I think it's a good sign if you don't all the time like right. them because right. they're pushing you hard enough to change and to question yourself and to point out your flaws, which we can only improve if we know they're there, right? And we're a little bit immune right. to our own flaws sometimes. So yeah, get get a coach. I don't care whether it's me or not. Get a coach that is going to kick you when you need to be kicked and then cheerlead for you when you do really need a little bit of cheerleading because sometimes we Amen. need that too. Absolutely. I hundred percent agree with you. hundred <laughs> percent. Okay. Gary, is there anything that you want to round this conversation off with as we're kind of wrapping up? Is there anything that you're like, I have this insight I want to share or this thing that I think is integral to this? I mean, I think you've covered a lot of good things here. I would just go back and reiterate I don't care what type of job you're in, whether you're a real estate agent, you're a dentist, a doctor, it doesn't matter if you're selling 
if you're a mechanic. It does not matter what job you're in. Every single job you have is a sales job. And if mm -hmm. you are not out selling yourself, branding yourself so that people, when they think of that problem, automatically think you're their solution, then your business is not going to thrive. You want somebody when they say, I need to buy a house to say, well, I need Blair Cato as my closing attorney, period. Yeah. If they aren't thinking my firm, when that happens, then failure on me. The, the biggest failure in, in, that I can see for myself is my son plays soccer at a fairly high level. So we're traveling and playing with that whole group. If one of those parents was to buy a house and, and not close it with Blair Cato, Shame on me for not selling myself to the people who are the, in front of me day in and day out. And that's happened to me in my career where it's like, I can't believe my friend, they bought a house and they used my competitor for the closing. And you're almost like, how did you not? Oh, I forgot you're a real estate lawyer. Uh huh. Why did they forget? I can't believe they forgot. Whose fault is that? Is it their fault they forgot that I was a closing attorney or is nope. it mine? It's mine because I wasn't. Mm -hmm branding myself to them where they know it. And I'm not saying being like the salesperson that every time you see your friend, hey, Sam, don't forget I'm a closing attorney. Send me some closings. But it's <laughs> them knowing who you are because of what you do and how you do it. And it's there's ways of doing it. We've spent a whole podcast on that. But that's what I would say is it just understand you've got to constantly sell yourself, brand yourself, and, and don't lose those sales because you aren't letting people know who you are and what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. It is, it is the downfall of every single business is they don't have enough business. And the only reason they don't is because they don't talk about it enough. Yep. hundred percent. Right. Yeah. It's like those realtors out there, secret agents, right? That whole term in the industry for those. Um, this has been such, such value and such, such fun, really. Um, I can't thank you enough for all of your insight and all of your willingness to be really open with how things have been going for you and all of us can learn from that. So I, I appreciate your time. Tons. Appreciate well, I appreciate it. If anybody wants to follow us, we're at BlairCato.com or all over social media. It's B-L-A-I-R-C-A-T-O. Um, and I also have a podcast called Dish and Dirt where I talk about uh, everything real estate for real estate agents. And that you can find that on any platform as well. So it's called Dish and Dirt, D-I-S-H-I-N, Dirt. Perfect. And I will make sure that all of that's going to be linked up in the show notes. And when this podcast goes live, we'll tag all of the social medias and stuff as well. So we will be able to connect all of the ears that are listening exactly into your world because that's super important. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. You are welcome anytime. Awesome. All right, guys, for this week, that's She Needs Grit. If you have any questions or you want to follow up with, hey, I need help in this area, you know where you can reach me. Come and see me on Instagram, slide into those DMs at Sam the Profit Coach, and I can answer your questions and get you profitable. We'll talk next week. Thank you so much for listening and spending your time at the She Needs Grit podcast. I would be ever so grateful if you would be able to leave me a review or share this episode with somebody that you know needs to listen to these lessons as well. Thank you so much.